Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8 is where we are, actually. If you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up. The ushers will bring one up. We are actually um, starting a little series today. We're going to put a pause on Matthew for a few weeks and then begin back in chapter 11. And the intention of doing this is, um, I love Matthew. Matthew's kind of at a good breaking spot right now, and then we can jump into chapter 11 and go there. But the beginning of the school year, the beginning of the fall, people start questioning, start going, what are we doing? We have new faces. And, and I feel like it's worth kind of talking about like, why we do what we do, except for I wanted to do that differently. You know, we claim love God, love others here. We say that that's, that's our purpose, to love God with every aspect of our heart, from, from all our strength, all our mind, from everything that we are, and then to love our neighbors ourselves. We talk about, about us being on mission, living in mission. Jesus began a revolution, and so because of this revolution he began where he up, upturned or uprooted sin and, and death and, and completed the work so that we could have a right standing before God. And then we just, as a part of that, we get to take part in what he's doing in this world. We get to take part in living on mission. So then we, we do things like serve Sunday, and we, we give money to the Philippines and to a bunch of other nonprofits around here. And, and I just feel like sometimes it's like, why, why are we doing that? And so we're going we're gonna to begin a little series. There's going to be three weeks. Now, this is, here are some ground rules on that. Because, see, I believe as fun as it would be to sit down and talk about what does it mean to love God and love others. We could look at Matthew 22. And we could spend some time there. We did that about a year ago. And so I'm just going to encourage you to go back to that. Actually, I believe there are some roadblocks. I believe there are some, some massive roadblocks in each of us individually. In fact, all of us, to some extent, are struggling with what we're going to talk about over these next few weeks. We're either in the middle of struggling with it right now. We've just come out of struggling with it. Or it's just a matter of days or weeks or time before we start struggling with it again. And see, I think that as, as much... As much as our desire may be, like, I want to love God, I really do, but I just, I can't get past this, I can't get past that. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to take one of the roadblocks, one of the roadblocks that get in the way, and we're going we're to spend the next few weeks talking about that. Now, there's some rules for this. First off, um, this is going to be somewhat interactive. So normally I would ask questions rhetorically. This time I'm going to ask questions, and if you hear me pause for more than three seconds, I didn't lose my place, I'm actually looking for an answer, Okay. And so when I ask a question, feel free to shout it out. doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. Shout those out. And secondly, in four weeks, on the fourth Sunday, we're going to have a panel discussion where it's going to be me and three other people that are exceptionally smarter than I up front here, and we're going to do a question and answer around this. See, because I believe that as we look at identity, which is obviously what we're looking at, as we look at this, there are going to be a number of questions that surface. There are going to be a number of statements that I'm going to say or we're going to say that's going to, that's going to jog your mind or your heart. And you're going to wrestle with it. You're going to, I don't really agree with that. And I'm going to encourage you, write those questions down on the communication card. Turn them in each week or bring them that following Sunday on October 12th. And then after that, we'll be back into Matthew. But again, this is an interactive time. So that being said, is everyone ready to start? Okay, good enough. That's great. Thank you. <clears throat> My hope is that by the grace of God, truth of Scripture, and the power of the Holy Spirit, that you know your identity in Christ so you can live as you were designed to do so. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you and I? We're going to hopefully define at the end of this, how is it that Bren can love God and love others? What is it in me as an individual? And then how does that play a role into the big C church? So the first question is, um, who are you? Give me some answers. What, who, if you were gonna, someone asked, like, who are you, what would you say? 
I'm female. Perfect. That's great. A wife. That's perfect. This is good. Keep coming. A mother. Excellent. What else? You say your name and then what? Sorry, I heard someone over here. Child of God. Okay. From the back row answers it. Well done. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, we don't need to do anything else. He's good. You can go home. Sorry. No. Okay. So, so then I've done something. They're underneath your chair is actually, I didn't, other people did. There's a little teeny mirror, little, little mirror. Um, be careful. They're actually a lot fragile than I thought. They break fairly easy. No one needs to be bloodied. <laughs> okay, now, now I want you to do me a favor. In this really dark room, in this really dark, stay with me, stay with me. In this really dark room, I want you to look in that mirror and tell me what you see. A nose, okay. What else do you see? A reflection, okay, what else? Come on now, this is a small mirror. You look in a mirror every single day. What do you see about yourself when you look in that mirror? A part of you. What else? What did you say? Appearance, good. A sinner, okay. What else? the hand holding the mirror. It's too dark to see the mirror itself. I get it. See, if we're really honest with ourselves, and we, we aren't because it's a large group and I get it, it's not safe. You feel nervous. But if you're really honest, you'd see anxiousness, depressed. You'd see things like, I'm ugly, not good enough, addicted. Right? If we were really honest, we look in the mirror every single day and we start lining ourselves up with what we think of ourselves, what others say of us. And ultimately, that little mirror is a horrible, horrible definition of who we are. Terrible definition. We see things like, if only I could do this better. We see poor mom, pathetic dad, terrible employee, terrible boss. And we start seeing these reflections in the mirror, and we can't help, we can't help but start identifying ourselves by that little mirror. And the problem with this is, the problem with this is, is that that stuff that you guys even said at the beginning, except for the one wonderful answer in the back, was all reputation. Right? You can be, you, you say, Mom, well, what if your, your children are gone? You say wife or husband, but what happens if the marriage ends? Is, is your identity crumbled? And the issue is, is that our little mirrors, our little reflection, reflection of mirrors are full of lies. They're full of ugliness. They're full of lies. But here's, here's the worst part about it. Most of us look at those mirrors, and the very things that we see, anxiousness and depression and all those other things, they're actually true about us. But that's not who you are. That's not your identity. Look, your identity is not what you do. It's not what you don't do. It's not what others think of you. It's not changing. It's not even what you think of you. It's not your sexual orientation. It's not your failures or your past. It's not even your future. It's established and complete in one moment, and that is Jesus Christ. But see, the issue is, is that, and the reason why I'm assuming it's so quiet in here, 
as maybe I didn't say the example that you saw in that mirror, but every single one of us wake up every single day fighting a reputation that is, is hijacking our very identity. We fight this reputation that we can't seem to shake. And no matter how hard we try and we want to believe, I am a child of God, I am. We look at all of our failures and our shortcomings and go, we, if I'm a child, why can't I even love him for a day? Let alone with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why do I have all this anger and bitterness and hatred towards my friends and to other people? See, these little mirrors are terrible representations. And my assumption is, is that most of us don't have a clear understanding of what our identity is. And so that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. See, everything is hinged on this. Absolutely everything you do or don't do in your life is hinged on what you believe and who you are. Everything is hinged on Everything goes through that lens. So let's define identity. Identity, essentially, in the dictionary is who someone is. That doesn't really change much for us, does it? The qualities, beliefs that make up a person, their characterization. Reputation, however, is what others think of you. It's a common opinion that someone else has. Reputation is based on what you do and don't do. Reputation, in all honesty, is that little mirror that you look in every single day. Reputation lays out absolutely everything. Here's the good, here's the bad. Here's where I'm, I'm doing something right, here's where I failed. I'm a good mom today, I'm a failure of a mom tomorrow. I'm a great husband today, I stink as a husband tomorrow. And ultimately, it's our reputation. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We all have an identity. Every single one of us. And every time you choose reputation, you're hijacking identity. Identity and reputation are always an exchange for one another. And ultimately, because we're unsure about who we are, because we use people as our point of reference, we allow others to dictate to us how we perceive ourselves. We then make their perception of us our own. What we do is often measured and judged by others either as acceptable or unacceptable. And we allow our performance to define us which is wrong. It's just flat out wrong. Again, reputation and identity is always an exchange. You are one of two things. You are either, we, look, the, the, scripture, sorry, the scripture says this over and over again. We serve two masters. You can't serve both God and the world. Jesus is either Lord or he's not. He's the way or he's not. There's always this, this polarization that the word does. It cuts right down the middle and says there is no other option. So why would we assume that our identity is something different than that? Why would we assume that our performance is what dictates our identity? Or a lack of performance? Our identity is either that we are an adopted child of God or a sinner in need of God's grace. Two options. We want to add all sorts of other options, but really what it comes down to is you are either a child of God or you are not, and you are in need of God's grace. You are serving and following Jesus as Lord or you serve or slave to this world. You're either an adopted child of God or a sinner in need of God's grace. Now hear me on this. This is really, really important. 
Some of you right now, you're going, well, I am a Christian. And then I go, okay, let's just, let's just see this out. Why would you call yourself a Christian? Like, why would you say, I'm a Christian? How would you say, if someone asked you, why are you a Christian, what would you answer? Read the Bible. Good. Try to live like Christ every day. I belong to Jesus. Okay, and someone said something over here. Love God, follow Jesus. I need help. Yeah. Help or hope? Both. That's good. Those are both good. (laughs) You know what's really hard about all of that? Is that the majority of your answer was what you do. It's what you do that makes you, I read the Bible, I try to live like Christ, I do, I do, I do do all over myself. And the point is this, guys, the point is this. The point is this, is your identity in Christ is not by hinged on anything you do or don't do. Hear that, write that down, memorize that. Your identity is established in Christ alone. It's not what I do or don't do. It's not I read the Bible, although yes, you do read the Bible, but that's not why I'm a Christian. That's not why I bear his name. I'm a Christian because of what Christ has done for me, and therefore I read the Bible. I'm Christian because of what he completed, and therefore I live like him daily. Those are all right answers. They're just in the wrong order. The Word of God is a perfect mirror that I can look into and see myself as I actually am. Look at me at Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Right before this, the Apostle Paul, if you've ever read Romans, it's, it's a headache in, it, in itself. But anyways, he's, he's working through this, uh, this issue of flesh and who we are. And if we live by the Spirit, and if we don't, and we, we didn't fall back into sin, but we, we were freed and we moved forward. And he's he's kind of just going in this circle about, look, you are no longer who you were. You're someone else. And then he climaxes at this point. And we're going to actually talk about that back stuff next week. In chapter 8, verse 12, he says, So then, brothers, sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Here's the part. For all who are led by the Spirit of, are led by the Spirit of God are sons or daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Also, Paul is doing some amazing stuff here. He's essentially, look, he's, 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 he climaxes on, look, we don't need to live by this flesh anymore. Right before this in chapter 7, he's talking about, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? I keep giving into the law and the flesh and the sin, but I know what I want to do. And then he begins it with, therefore, in chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And he works his way on through, and then he ultimately comes to, you're an adopted child of God. Now, this is an incredibly amazing term because adoption was not a Hebrew word or term. We don't see it used really in any way in the Old Testament. It was a, it was a Greco-Roman term. 
in the New Testament. So he was speaking to the Roman people and he's saying, look, you are adopted. Now, the reason why that is important is because Romans would adopt simply for the fact that they wanted to pass on inheritance. That was it. There was no strings attached. There was no, this person that was adopted was no longer, hey, you're my adopted foster kid. It was, you are my child and therefore all that I have is yours. It's used only one other time in the New Testament and that's in Galatians. It's by Paul again. This adoption is a very, very key thing. And he uses this word, Abba, Father. Abba is not Daddy. That loses reverence and transcendence for God. But Abba is a very personal Aramaic term for God as Father. In fact, it is the term that Jesus Christ used for God, the Father. And now as co-heirs with Jesus, you and I that are adopted children of God get to refer to a heavenly father that knit us together in our mother's womb, that created this entire world as our father, an intimate, personal relationship. And it's not that we're going to be some kind of stepchild into God's kingdom. Or he's just trying us out. He's like, well, ah, you know, if you, if you make it right, then I'll, then I'll adopt you. He's like, no, we are adopted children of God. So how do we get there? Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's this recognition of what Jesus did, living an absolutely perfect life, sinless, to be crucified on the cross. But even as I say that, let's be honest, most of you kind of go, oh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, Jesus saved, I believe. Eat. What's next? And we view our gospel message as an event that happened some day ago. That we just decide, okay, we'll live by that. So I wanted to spend a little bit more time talking about the cross. See, because I think if we really want our identity to be centered on the gospel, we have to look at the cross a bit more. What Jesus endured. And this isn't new to any of you. Most of you in here have heard this, have heard some version of it. But ultimately what it comes down to is Jesus and I... I got a chance to go to Israel, and so I got to walk in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and there's this pivotal point where Jesus says, I need to go pray, stay awake, and, and a lot of times that gets hijacked by the fact that the disciples keep falling asleep while Jesus is praying. But ultimately, Jesus is in, his, in the Garden of Gethsemane hours before he's going to be crucified, hours before he's going to hang on a cross for you and me. And he says, I need to seek God. I need to seek God, and we see he gets on his face in Matthew chapter 26 coming into this moment. Verse 38 through 39, then Jesus said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That my will done be done, but your will be done. Right? We've heard this. And I feel like everything gets hijacked in this verse from the disciples falling asleep to your will be done. And we forget the spot where our Lord and Savior, both perfectly God and perfectly human, right, says my soul is deeply grieved at the point of death. What causes so much grief for our Savior? What causes so much grief for the man that we hold up as, our, as the Son of God, whom we are now called righteous because of what he's done? Was it the beating he was about to receive? the flogging, the whipping, 
the hanging, the flesh being ripped, the crown of thorns, the insults hurled on him. I don't think that's it. Because if that was it, then some of Jesus' followers and even people today in China actually do a better job of taking on persecution than Jesus did. If that's what he was grieved at. I think that we see it, obviously, right here. He says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus is talking about the cup of God's wrath, hatred, and sin being poured out on Jesus Christ in place of you and me. So that I can sit today and go, Abba, Father. Jesus, who lived a perfect, perfect life, is referring to divine judgment that's about to be poured out on him who never felt shame, guilt, or separation from the Father ever, and in an instant he's going to receive it. I heard one scholar say it's like at an instant when he hung on the cross, it's like a dam of 10,000 miles high and 10,000 miles wide. It's broken and Jesus is required to drink every last drop while you and I sit on the sideline going, wow, I should be drinking that. Wait, wait, that that was mine to drink. Why, why, why would he drink this in my place? Every last drop. Without intervention, we would end up hopeless and without grace. And so what Jesus does is he takes the wrath of God that you and I deserve. Let's be honest. You and I, like, it's not even that we deserve it. We deserved it, but it's like we kind of paved the road. Right? No one has any shortcoming here going, well, I can see a million of my sins that, that put Jesus on the cross. It's not even 10 o'clock today. I'm sure I've got a few that hung him on the cross. I drove here. I mean, driving in Boise is enough to sin, right? So why would he drink it? Why would, why would Jesus do this? Because of the most quoted verse in the Bible. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, for God so loved Bren that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He spared us the cup of wrath that we all deserve. The love of God towards me as a sinner is not God making much of me, but rather freeing me up so that I can make much of him. problem is, is these, these little mirrors get in the way, right? Every time we look at one of these, I'm going to turn it backwards so I don't blind you. Every time we look at this, I look at this, I can't shake who I know I am tomorrow. I can't shake who I know I was yesterday. And the issue is that I'm not identifying myself as a child of God. you're a believer, God is incapable of being angry at you. Have you ever thought about that? He's incapable. All of that was poured out on the cross. You're not a foster child. But the problem is what we're looking at. Like I said, most of us see our, our shortcomings in these little mirrors. Let's be honest, we don't really need a little mirror. We can feel our shortcomings. We can feel our failures. And what my fear is, is that because of that, we're paralyzed and we aren't actually identifying ourselves as children of God. So ultimately, we need a new mirror. 
Now, I'm going to try and do this without blinding you guys, so forgive me if I do. Ultimately, we need a new mirror. And the issue is, is that we keep looking at this small, pathetic excuse of a mirror, what people say about us, what we do or don't do, and we keep forgetting that we are to look at ourselves not through those little mirrors, but through the cross. See, because when I look through this mirror, I can see clearly who I am. And it's not contingent on anything that I have done or will do or didn't do. I can look at this mirror and say I am identified as a child of God because of what Christ has done for me. I can see clearly in this mirror. I will never, ever see clearly in this mirror. The problem is, is that we stop looking at the cross because we see the cross as some event that happened as opposed to a gospel that we live every single day in light of. I will never identify myself as a child of God if I keep looking at this because this is a reputation. Because by this I'll say, I'll do enough, God, for you to love me. I'll read enough Bible. I'll spend enough time serving you and you'll love me. When he's saying, I already love you, look at the cross. See, God is established. He is 100% established. Therefore, those who are in Christ, our identity is established. It's founded. It's done. It's complete. It's finished. Nothing changes that. You are a child of God. If you have surrendered your life to the gospel that you didn't deserve, you didn't earn, you don't have to do enough good things to make it happen. See, here's the problem is most of us, we want to say, okay, yeah, I'm a Christian. I got it. I'm following Jesus. And then we want to go to what we do. And I'm telling you, just stop doing anything right now and just sit in this. Just be a child of God. Stop doing for Christ. And just, just for one moment, just for one day, just wrap your mind around the fact that you get to be a child of the most high God that knows absolutely everything about you and still cross that gap of sin and depravity and ugliness and brought righteousness to your front doorstep. It can be really easy for us to want to do stuff, right? It's interesting. If you look at Mark 1.11, you don't have to turn there. It's just Jesus being baptized. He gets dunked and he comes out and God comes down and says, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased with. I can't help but think there's a parallel from that because right after that moment is when Jesus' ministry really began. And it's like in that instance, maybe that had nothing to do with the group around them, had everything to do with God and Jesus in that relationship. He says, you are my son and I am well pleased with you. Now go. And Jesus moved out of that spot. Not, I'm going to go so that you can be well pleased with me. No, he was pleased with him because he's his son. And God delights in you. Because you're a child of God. God delights in you when you fail and sin horribly today, tomorrow, the next day. God delights in you because you're his child. And he is a perfect father. As a believer, my identity is in Christ. But I feel like we believe our actions show our true identity. And I actually think that that's a lie. 
you're honest, because actions only really show what you believe about your identity. I can believe that I am a child of God, and I guess if you see that all the way through, if I'm truly surrendered to a child of God, then my actions would show that. But my actions aren't, are, are nothing but a, a proof of what's in me. My actions don't actually point people to the fact that this is it. It's already established in Christ. And so a lot of you believe that you're children of God, but you still believe that you have to do these 8 billion things, check off a list, and then God will be pleased with you, but he delights in you right now. You know what's crazy? He delights in you when you're addicted. He delights in you when you make that poor choice with that relationship you have right now. He delights in you when you doubt in him. He delights in you not because, not because he thinks you're amazing. No, because he's incredible. Remember, the gospel isn't about us. It frees us up to make much of him. But he invites us in this process. You aren't what's been done to you, but what Jesus has done for you. You aren't what you do, but what Jesus has done. What you do doesn't determine who you are. Rather, who you are in Christ determines what you do. So maybe it's just about time that we sit in that, as uncomfortable as it may be. If you have confessed with your mouth, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, then you actually aren't a sinner anymore. You'll sin. First John tells us that. Apostle Paul never identifies you as a sinner. He goes on and says, why do I do my wretched man that I am? But he recognizes that that's the flesh and the spirit in him is righteous and beautiful and pure as snow despite what he does. So if you're a child of God, it's time to start acting like it. And by acting like it, I mean maybe we just need to sit still and wrestle with the fact that I keep trying to earn it. I keep trying to do something extra to make it happen. I keep looking at the little tiny mirror, hoping it'll bring me hope, when really it just slams me with guilt, shame, and everything else. Everything funnels through this. Everything funnels through the cross. What we're going to do is I'm going to take this cross back there after I blind a few of you. Sorry. It's, it's the light of Jesus. It's blinding. Um, I'm going to set this cross back there by a table for communion. And I want to do a little practice with you guys. This is just a, this is a, you do not have to take part in this. If you're sitting next to someone and they go do it and you, you don't want to do it, don't feel like you have to. If you're sitting next to someone like, come on, come do this with me, let, 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 let them be in this spot. Because, see, here's the thing. Some of you are married in here. You're a child of God before marriage. You could lose that marriage, you're still a child of God. Some of you long to be married. You're a child of God. No spouse will ever bring you the joy that the child of God would. What we're going to do is I'm going to set this mirror back there. And I'm going to encourage some of you, not all of you, some of you need to take some time with this. I'm going to set this mirror back there, and we've got a little gray spot. I want you to take that little teeny mirror that's full of lies, deceit, and false reputations of who you are. And I'm going to ask you to take the elements of communion, which is a beautiful thing, remembering what Christ has done for you and, and celebrating what he's going to do for you. Look yourself in this mirror, and I mean eye to eye. 
Don't look away. Stare yourself in this mirror and recognize that you will no longer identify yourself by this little reputation. But instead, will force yourself to stare at the rightful child of God that you are if you have surrendered to him. And maybe some of you, you're not ready for that. Then I would encourage you, take this mirror home, and when you get a chance, grab a hammer, take it out in your driveway, and smash it as hard as you can. Because if we don't run from these, we will never see this. It's always an exchange. It's always an exchange. I exchange my identity for reputation always. And so as we're doing music, there's no specific time. You can go back there. You can break the body, which is Jesus' body that was broken for you. You can drink the juice, which is representative of the blood that every, it seals absolutely everything in our righteousness. The spilled blood of our Savior and our Lord. And you look in the mirror. Stop looking in the little mirrors. Some of you, you're, 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 you're beat up. And you have a hard time facing yourself in the mirror. And so I'm going to ask, I'm going to prescribe you with another homework assignment. Grab a dry erase marker. Um, Preferably don't steal one because that would be sin. But borrow one or use one. And go home at your vanity at home and just write a big old cross in the middle of your mirror. And then every time you get up, every time you're doing your makeup men or you're doing your, sorry, you're doing your hair men, right? You're doing your makeup ladies or whatever you're doing, right? As you look in that mirror, I want, to, I want you to force yourselves to only look within the confines of the cross and not in the surrounding big area. And just stare yourself through the cross. And then every time you start feeling anxiety well up in you, write anxiousness at the foot of the cross and leave it there. And every time you start seeing things like, oh, I'm just getting old and ugly, write vanity at the bottom of the cross and walk away from it because you are pure and beautiful and awesome and amazing in the sight of God. He did not mess up in making you. And every time you find yourself battling addiction, you write addiction at the bottom of the cross. My hope would be that we become a a community of people that waste mirrors because we're only using a section of them. Right? No matter how hard, it's like, move out of the way, honey. I got to see this myself in the cross when there's this massive mirror in front of me. And just start writing it. And what you'll see, and here's the beautiful thing about the cross. What you'll see is you'll write things like anxiousness down there. And if you continually depress in that I am a child of God in spite of my anxiousness, you watch how that anxiousness loses its power. It no longer can hold anything over you. Because in the cross, we have all power to defeat absolutely everything that we struggle with. In the cross, we are freed to actually live with the freedom that we were set free for. So I encourage you to write that down at home. Right, a little cross. Man's going to come up and we're going to worship a little bit more. And like I said, during this, we, we kind of stacked it at the end. Feel free at any point to go get communion. Feel free at any point to come back and get prayer if you need it. Um, if you have questions about this or you're really wrestling with things or you don't believe God, something, write those down. Write those down. Let's, let's, let's not let this just be a thought of, oh, need, I, remember, I need to remember my identity in Christ because here's what will happen. If you just kind of hear this today and move on with life tomorrow, you're going to pick up this little mirror again really quickly. It's just one phone call, one situation at work, one mistake, and you're going to go, yep, there it is, that's me, my reputation. I'm not identified by my name. I'm not identified by what I do or don't do. I'm not, Brent is, is, is husband, 
I am father, I am pastor, I am friend, all of that can go away, but I'm still at the top, a child of God. God can rip everything from me, and I'm still a child of God. It's time that we start looking through the cross, living a life on the cross. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about next week. Um, my assumption is some of you are like, man, I got a lot of sin. So we're going to talk about sin specifically next week and what that means in regards to this cross and identity and how we live through that. Um, so I'd encourage you to come back for that next week. Heavenly Father, thank you for your work on the cross. Father, forgive me for adding weight to reputations when my identity is already established in who you are. Father, I am a, a righteous child of God, not because of anything I've done or anything that I don't do. And my hope is in this room that every single person would recognize that that is what they are identified with. For those in the room that have surrendered their life, that have given way to you as Lord and Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, that they would recognize that they are deemed righteous and spotless and beautiful. We're already image bearers, God. You made us as image bearers. But we can be image bearers freed up by your grace called adopted children of you. You created us to do good works, God. You made us with a purpose. You made us with a mission. And my fear is that sometimes we get so busy doing your mission that we forget that we're just your children. We forget that, that, that our identity is wrapped up in being your adopted child so that we can be heirs, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, our Savior. And you bring us up to his level, not because of anything we do, not making us God, but so that we can make much of you. So, Father, my prayer is that as we look at the cross this week, that we would be ridiculously reminded by every single instance, whenever a lie wants to come in of us not being good enough, your cross crushes it with you are righteous. Whenever a lie comes in with anxiousness, your cross comes in and says, trust me and me alone. I will give you a peace that makes no sense. Father, when we start wrestling with friendships or relationships that are falling apart, you remind us that despite of those relationships, you're still our Father, an intimate Father, not just a, a powerful, reverential, amazing God, which you are, but you have stepped down and crossed a barrier where no one could cross except for a sacrifice in Jesus Christ so that I could have an intimate relationship with you. Father, would we be identified by your cross? Will we move forward as adopted children of God? And when the enemy comes and lies, which he will, will we just keep pointing to the cross and say he has no power over our lives? You've already defeated all, including death. God, my prayer is that as we look at identity, God, we would truly be freed up to live the way you designed us to live. So that we could, we could not only just say we want to love God and love others, but we could actually do that identified as your child, recognizing that it's not even us that do it, but it's your spirit that lives inside of us. Father, forgive us for, for giving way to reputation. Strip us of reputation. For those in the room that really aren't sure they're your children, those in the room that keep kind of coming around church and they like it, but they've never really truly said, confessed, or dropped before you and said, you are Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you would wreak havoc on their hearts. 
I pray that you would, you would overwhelm them in a way that they can't run from you anymore. Where they would just drop down and say, I'm done looking at these pathetic small mirrors. I want to see myself through the cross the way that I was intended to be seen, the way I was made to be seen, the way that I was only able to be seen because of the work of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen.